You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game podcast. It's a show where we talk all things state and county fairs, and we got a great show for you today. Today's guest is an eco-performer who took magic and combined it with a message of being environmentally friendly. And let me tell you, he's the real deal. Not only does he talk the talk about conservation, he walks the walk too. He lives in a home that is about as energy efficient as it gets. He's joining us from Frog Pond, Alabama. This is Mr. Steve Trash. Steve, welcome to the show. Thank you, Robert. I'm thrilled to be here. And yep. Uh, Frog Pond, Alabama, population 76 when I'm not home. Now, where that's it's a hell of a name. Where is Frog Pond, Alabama? So it's in northwest Alabama. I'm a hop, skip, and a jump from Tupelo, Mississippi, or Memphis, or Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, it's all, all just down the road. We're the northwestern corner of Alabama, kind of at the very, very, very end of the chain of Smoky Mountains. It's pretty hilly and rocky here got it i mean with a name like frog pond i can think of no other state that it could actually exist in other than alabama yeah it was um uh, according to neighborhood lore it used to be a mill there was a mill down here because it's, um, it's extremely rural as you can imagine by the name um and there was a a mill here that was called frog pond mill and the name it just simply stuck well, that works, I guess. <laughs> so let's start out talking about um, where you live, not so much Frog Pond, but um, your home itself. You know, a lot of people will talk the talk about being environmentally friendly and that they recycle or whatnot, but you actually go way beyond that. Tell us about your home. Uh, well, thanks for the invitation to talk about that. When I was, a, when I was younger, I read a quote um, that I'm going to have to paraphrase here, but it was about uh, Gandhi said it. And he said, you know, you can't do right in one area of your life and be doing wrong in all of the other areas. And I was like, you know, if, if, if somebody asks me about how to work with nature's systems, I really want to be able to answer that correctly. And, and I want to be aligning what I do, making as little impact as possible uh, on the planet with the way I live, uh, and you know the way I use resources. So my house was like the obvious thing to do. So my wife and I built a home about 20 plus years ago. It's earth burned. That means most of the front is actually under underground. And everybody knows has ever dug into the earth before knows that the ground, if you get a few feet down below grade, you're going to be around 58 or 60, 62 degrees. You can use that temperature of the earth, right? So if you, let's say you got a basement, right? Your basement is always cool, right? Well, there's a reason. It's because the earth is that temperature. So here in Alabama, we get scorching hot summers, but we are drawing that cool air in uh, during the summer in Northwest Alabama. Hey, it was 17 degrees last week, but we were drawing in 58 degrees. So the heater doesn't have to work as hard. The air conditioner doesn't have to work as hard. And, you know, we did other things just to make it as energy efficient as possible. I've, I've got the, the entire south facing uh, wall is all windows. It's a uh, double paned windows. So we get a lot of light in the house and it's, um, 
it's pretty energy efficient because we don't really during the day we don't really need to turn lights on it's not really necessary because we've got so much light flooding in the house you know my goal was learn as much about um not using resources as you can we we have to use resources you know we're human beings we're consumers right and, and literally in a biological sense we're consumers but there's no reason to be wasteful and so we built this house with the notion of don't be wasteful well it makes sense um you know there's so many people out there that you know, they talk about it but they don't really do it i've always admired the fact that you will you'll walk you'll walk what your talk is and and you really back back up your environmental message with action what got you so passionate about this well i guess in a way i was kind of lucky my mom was a teacher i know your family is filled with teachers um but my mom was a teacher my dad was a forester you know and so I grew up going out to the woods just for fun, you know? I mean, nobody in my family was in show business. They, you know, uh, we didn't really know what show business or, you know, entertaining at fairs was actually about. Um, but I grew up with a real passion for the outdoors and my mother instilled in me a desire to be a lifelong learner. And so I really wanted to integrate those things because my notion was, that we we don't really look at the world the earth's natural resources from a particularly intelligent uh perspective we think that the earth is infinite because it's so freaking huge um it is huge but the truth is it's this one little sustainable resource that keeps just flipping around flipping around and and the earth itself is constantly recycling all of its resources it's recycling the water and the air and the land and that got me to thinking you know if i could share that message with people in an entertaining way not in a pedantic sort of here i'm going to tell you this and you must be a good human and go do it like if i could if i could do it in a fun way i kind of figured maybe i could slip in the back door of people's minds and the next time they had to make a decision about you know should i should i recycle this thing? okay i'm at a fairgrounds and they've given me the opportunity to throw this away or recycle it maybe, maybe i'll just recycle it you know it, you know right so you subtly can get this message across or i know some fairgrounds that are they compost things right i mean you've got a great deal of animal waste well take that animal waste and turn it into something that's useful. And, and I like that. And so I like integrating what I know into my performance without ever making it sort of like a, you know, Neanderthal man kind of whacking people on the head with it. It's supposed to be fun. So give us some examples of some of the things you do in your show and how you message them. We, you and I are extremely similar in that we love being really close to people, you know, in, in, in the fair game, if you will. I love being really close to people. So as an example, all natural, one of the premises of my show is that all natural resources are valuable and they, they should be used wisely. So a really simple thing, and I can do this on a stage or up close, but I like doing it up close, is to simply take some little pieces of paper that have been discarded and transform them like with a snap into money just instantly right underneath people's noses now that's visceral if you see i mean money is visceral right if you see money you have an almost automatic response which is usually positive because people like money and uh, so i've taken this garbage 
that people thought was not of any value at all, transformed it instantly to money. Now that's a magic trick. It's fun. You can laugh and you can stop right there if you want as an audience member. Or you can go a little deeper and go, you know, the guy was talking about all resources having valuable, even trash. Maybe, you know, maybe he's right. So next time, maybe you do think about using that resource in a, in a wiser uh, way. Or, you know, there are other examples in, this, in the performance in my show. Not only do I do magic tricks, but I perform um, uh, music. So I have a recycled cigar box guitar. Um, it's just simply made out of old cigar box pieces and it's a fully functioning guitar and it sounds totally amazing. I, I love this guitar, it sounds great. And so I play that as well because you know some people don't like magic, some people don't like music. So you know I'm I'm dancing on the stage. I'm going to give you whatever you want. So your show is not just. I mean, you do magic in it, but it's not just magic. You have a lot of other bits in your show. Yeah, and well, and it's meant to be. Look, we're entertainers, and the reason that a fair board comes together and says, why in the world would we have rock and eco heroes Steve trash here? It's because they know that your fair goer is there with their family just to have a good time, right? They're, they're there to have some fun. And so I look at all of the tools because I just look at magic tricks or, or music. I just look at those as sort of paints in my paint bucket, you know, and I'm gonna paint whatever will make the best time happen. Um, for an audience member that's come to a fair. And so for me, almost nothing is out of bounds in terms of what I'll use to be entertaining. Um, it, it all has to tie back to ecology and uh, nature and the environment. Uh, but like I said, I'm, I don't beat you over the head with that stuff. That's just, that's sort of a through line that runs through everything that I do. How long have you been performing? Um, in, uh, I've been performing, let's see, I'm 58 now. So I've been performing professionally for just at 40 years. I started, my first fair was the state fair of Texas, which I loved the state fair of Texas, you know, down by big techs. And, um, I was actually working for a, a concert promoter. In fact, I saw Garth Brooks before Garth Brooks was Garth Brooks. So he had me set up as a street act in front of the stage because there were changeovers. It was an outdoor stage and they would have these changeovers and there would be huge downtime. But he didn't want anybody on the stage because of course you're taking that rock show out and, or that country music artist out and putting another country music artist in. And he said, why don't you just go out there and do your tricks right in front of people in front of the stage. So I did that um, and it was really, really well received. And I started doing that probably in the late 80s. I'm going to guess it was 87, maybe it was 88. I'm not really sure. Um, and then that grew. One, another friend who worked for Dean Short Talent, or uh, worked with Dean Short Talent out of Omaha, Nebraska. And he came up to me and he said, do you have an agent? And I said, um, no, I don't, I don't have an agent. I just... I just this this promoter hired me to come do this thing and he said I think you'd fit into the roster would you consider sending some stuff to my agent and uh, I sent it to him and um honestly Dean and I worked together for <laughs> it feels like a thousand years you know I'm, I'm with triangle talent now when Dean retired 
Um, but I, I love that guy. I, actually, I, I miss the guy. He was a, he was a pretty decent human being. Well, I was going to ask if you're booking yourself these days or with your, if you're with an agency, so you're with Triangle now, how's that working out with you? And Mark, Mark Sparks is my agent uh, through Triangle. Um, when uh, I um, uh, investing and show business to me, at least, uh, I, I'm open to other people's opinions, uh, but to me, you should say, stay diversified, right? And so about a third of my life is um, schools. About a third of my life is performing arts theaters where they put me in a very large theater. They bus children in. I do a big, big, big show. And about a third of my life is doing uh, fairs. And I like, for me at least, I like having professionals that are connected to that particular marketplace um, actually do the booking. And they just simply, you know, every Friday morning, I send my agents an updated tour schedule and I say, hey, these dates are not available anymore. But if you get a date, you fill it in, tell me instantly, and, and it's it's your date. I'm, I'm fine with that. Uh, this allows me, because I've, I've been both sides of the thing, Robert. I've, I've actually sold, I've sold myself. I've been my own agent before, and I've had agencies before. And I, I prefer to have an agent that's in that market doing the work and then just calling me because for me at least and again I can see I can see the other side of that fence for me at least I like just focusing on the material right I just just want to focus on the showbiz of how do I make a great show and a great performance and, and so I end up um, having agents work with me um, in particular markets they, they're they're market specific in fact uh, Jerry Ross is my agent. He's a harmony artist, and I adore Jerry, but he does performing arts for me only. He doesn't do fairs. Uh, Mark Sparks over at Triangle does exclusively fairs for me, and uh, I've got a couple other folks who work the school thing for me. So it's interesting. You've, you've diversified in such a way that allows you to make sure that your fair market is completely taken care of, your performing arts are completely taken care of, that all the different assets uh, within your business um, get individual attention. That's interesting. It's good to hear you with, with Triangle. You know, we had Mark on um, at several, a, a month or so ago, and he's just, you know, I've noticed in talking to the agents um, that have been around longer, like Mark and Todd Bolton over at Variety, the stories they can tell the experience they have if young performers like i when i was young coming into the industry if they listen they can learn a hell of a lot i mean conjure wouldn't exist if it wasn't for triangle talent and and sparky and, and the group at, at triangle yeah that's that's 100 true and there's there's also that there um the you know it's the the old grizzly bear it's listening beyond the BS that they may be throwing out there for the real kernels, you know, the real nuggets of things that can help you as a, as an entertainer or frankly, as a fair, uh, as a booker, you know, the board of directors or the special events uh, coordinator or whatever, there's good stuff. And uh, the, the greatest agents in the world, they love people, right? They love talking to people. I mean, um, you know, Mark and Dean and Jerry, those guys, they enjoy it, right? They enjoy talking to folks and saying, to saying to those folks, how do I solve your problem? And so like you and I are similar in that we wanted to build something 
um, in, in most cases for fairs that didn't require a whole lot of um, attention from other people. Like when I first started, I moved into the fair market and I only did what they consider strolling, but really it's a street performance, you know? I was a street performer in New York City for five years. And what I'm really creating is a street performance out in the middle. But what was valuable was I was bringing a, me I was bringing a message that they wanted. And most important of all, I wasn't any trouble, but I was high quality, right? I mean, if you're checking off boxes and you're a fair manager, the box you want to check off is, was great, was no trouble. Those are, those are like the two boxes you need to check off, right? Because the, the life of a fair person, the fair manager or, you know, somebody who's really running stuff, man, there, there are fires to put out almost every minute of the day. But if you know that cat Steve Trash is out there on, you know, in front of the midway where there are lots of people and uh, he's doing his thing and you're making people happy, by golly, that's that's something that you can check off and that's worth money, you know. And so that's what I focused on being was just the utility person that would make them look good, um, make the fair goers happy um, and uh, wasn't wasn't a lot of trouble, really. Yes, I totally agree. You know, you got, um, I, I always feel like my performance, the the biggest thing for me, and I've talked with out at like OC Fair, you know, I've spoken with Frank Thurston, who's a, a great kids magician about this. We want to go on and do a great show and we don't want any anything other than he was great. You know what I mean? We don't, we talked one year about um, um, a dressing room situation that had come up and, and we were like okay how are we going to resolve this without without asking because we don't want to, when you're the entertainment director or the fair manager you've got especially at an oc fair they've got six thousand things a day they got to deal with i don't want to make it six thousand and one i want to be the guy that's easy and self-sufficient and just does what he does you know what i mean right. uh, occasionally you do have to go to the front office and ask um, but I, uh, the philosophy that you guys followed, in my opinion, is correct, especially, especially if you just keep delivering. Um, I'm going to be honest, I adore the Wisconsin State Fair. I've been there 27 years in a row, because way back, way back when I was doing State Fair of Texas, um, uh, Mary Beth Carr came up to me and she saw me. She said, how would you like to come? to Wisconsin and do exactly what you're doing right here for us. And I said, does it pay? <laughs> and she said, yes, it does. And I said, what time would you like me there? <laughs> it's easy. So, we're we're a know, simple bunch. As long as the check clears, like, we'll do whatever. You need me there at four o'clock in the morning for TV appearances. Cool. <laughs> You know, we're, that's right. And they, Wisconsin is always, I adore the, I adore the people that run the fair and I adore the people that come to the fair. And, you know, this being, uh, this would have been my 28th year uh, there, you know, thanks to COVID things got weird, but um, I will go back there. I'm already on their schedule for 2021. Um, and that was one of my first ones to discover sort of, okay, what is it that the fair market in air 
quotes actually needs. And that's when I got really serious about going, okay, okay, I'm gonna wheel my little trash can out there. I'm gonna have my own portable sound system and I'm gonna find a place on the grounds that's really high traffic, but I'm not, I'm not blocking the ambulance, you know, and I'm not blocking anything where, you know, where do I need to go? And how do I make sure that really good comments make it back to the front office, but I don't have to really ever go to the front office and, and be a bother, you know, how, how do I make that happen? And over the years, I learned how to just be better and better at that. And, you know, when, when you do long fairs, and I was really lucky, Texas is two things, it's long and it's hot. Um, I learned that it's all, it, that a, a, if you're an entertainer, it's a marathon, it is not a sprint. And you must learn how to conserve your energy. You yep. must learn how to eat right, you know, because you need to be, you need to be 100% every time you- Yes. From the first from the first show, you know, Friday afternoon when they open to a month later at you know eight p.m. on Sunday when it's the last show, it's yeah. I felt the same thing when I do OC fair. I want to make sure that I deliver the opening Friday and the closing Sunday. I want the exa uh, the same level of energy in the performance. Any of those long fairs, yes. it is absolutely a marathon. You're correct. I wanted yeah, well, to ask you. I wanted to ask you what's your what's your typical route look like with the number of fairs that you do. Uh, there, um, it's, it's what you and I were just discussing. There is no route. Uh, it's, do you have the money and do I have time to get there? <laughs> well, that makes sense. <laughs> of course, but you can, you have the ability to fly, don't you? Can, you can fly in? Uh, not that, no, yeah, not with the, uh, not with the street. Uh, okay. Well, I guess the answer would be yeah, but I don't like it. Uh, I, I don't like to fly because my um, I, I can offer the best utility to that fair or fairgrounds if I have the ability to drive in. You know, uh, Dean Dean Short back in the day he used to just laugh out loud because he knows that I'm I'm very business driven and he knows that between shows and I used to send him pictures of my office right and my office of course would be a camp. A folding chair out beneath the tree because I'd be out there tapping away on my computer and you know uh, making notes and writing books and writing new shows and all of that stuff and he used to kind of harass me about that because I love I love working in between performances like you know when when I share a dressing room with folks there I think they're a little shocked I don't spend any time BSing. I mean, okay, I take that back. A little time, but not a lot. I actually spend most of my time working. Uh, I, I write. I write TV shows. I have my own uh, PBS children's television show that's national. It's called Steve Trash Science. And so I, I write for that. In fact, I just did the Minnesota State Fair. And because we were on deadline, I would get up around three in the morning. I would write from three until seven. And then I could go to the fairgrounds. And Minnesota, Minnesota has some parking issues. So you need to get there early, right? So I got there early and I'd go to the dressing room and I, I could write for another three and a half hours before my performance. Um, and so I just, I, I like, I prefer to drive because I've got all this sort of extra make Steve comfortable, make Steve happy kind of gear, you know? 
I prefer to drive as well. I'm I'm completely with you. I, I it's it's funny to me. I spent so long trying to get my when I was doing magic, get that show as small as possible and as convenient to fly as possible. And now here I am with a giant fortune box um, that does not it can fly, but it's not super easy. And a fifteen hundred square foot game and activity, you know, fun zone that that needs a trailer to pull. And now I'm I'm going, okay, I'm going a different direction than when I started. But I do prefer driving because it's for me, it's just one, I love the con- the convenience of just all my stuff is there. But two, yeah. I really like traveling across this country and seeing different things. Yeah. Well, it also gives you, I mean, the, the, the driving part of it for me takes a little bit of the uh, friction uh, out of it. Uh, you know, I wrote a book recently for show business people called Finding Your Light Bulb because I, I got some advice from Mr. Electric years ago. And he said, kid, if they want a magician, they got a thousand choices. If they want the guy with the light bulb, they want me. And I was like, that's, that's very, very smart, you know, advice. And, and I took that advice. And over the years of doing this, I came to the conclusion that everything that gets in our way of doing a great performance, an A++ is friction. Everything that gets in the way. Um, the, the inability to find good food, that is friction. The inability to uh, be comfortable, like I like my lawn chair, right? The, the, uh, the, um, the stress of finding your rental car and getting that rental car and having the proper documentation, all of that, every bit of it is just friction and friction is what gets in the way of you connecting with the people that have come to the fair for an amazing time and my goal at the beginning of every morning and every month is reduce friction just cut down on the friction because my job is to be amazing and they've paid me to be amazing so i'm looking for opportunities to uh, get rid of the friction and go out and just simply do my job I love that you say reduce the friction because in my social media presentations for fairs, I've talked for years about here is why you need to have online ticketing and you need to be able to scan those tickets on your phone. And there are fairs that push back and say, but we've always done tickets where we have your local bank sells them or whatever. And it's super convenient. It's not hear this now. It is not convenient to ask a mom who is your primary decision maker on whether or not anybody's coming to the fair from that family. It is not convenient to tell mom, hey, busy soccer mom, after you get done with work and you have to get the kids, pick them up from soccer practice and you have to get dinner made. And if you got 50 things between you and your bath at the end of the night, it is not convenient to say, will you also stop by the local bank and buy a ticket? That is absolute friction. What is convenient is when they sw- they're they sitting in bed after their bath at night, swiping through their Facebook feed, and they see a two-for-one ad come up, and they say, hey, honey, are we going to go to the fair this weekend? Are, you, are we down for that? Yep, let's go. Let's We're going. Boom. One button, done. That's convenience. That's yeah. reducing friction. I did it. I did it yesterday, and, and to be honest, I was even a little bit surprised at how fast it was. Um, I wanted something for a new uh, performance lecture that I was giving. I wanted a, a hollowed out book. It's a book that's, uh, that looks like a regular book, 
but inside the first few pages are real and the rest of the book is is hollow you can put anything in there you want and i realized at the end of the transaction i'd gone to ebay and literally robert literally in three keystrokes that was ordered it was paid for and it was now on the way to me from someplace, you know, here I am in Frog Pond, Alabama, and it was on the way to me from somewhere in Pennsylvania. And I thought, that's the key. Reduce yep. the number of steps and yes. just make it easy for folks. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'd have to think about your premise because honestly, I've never really thought about it that much. But the, anything those folks can do to reduce friction, in my opinion, is a good thing. Absolutely. And this is why, as I as I continue my presentations at, at fair conventions, it's going to blow them away when I'm, I start telling them and I, sh I could have been telling them two years ago, but they they're not ready to, to hear it. They need to be developing voice. Because let me tell you what, it's awfully convenient. One time I ordered my protein powder on Amazon. And yeah. I set it up so that now when I get to the point where I'm making my my protein shake, and I look and I'm like, I think I've got about three days worth less left. And I say, uh, you know, hey, Amazon, order my protein powder. And I have to say Amazon because she's in the other room listening. She'll turn on and actually order it for me. <laughs> but I, I tell that, that device, order my protein powder. And she says, okay, the price is currently da-da-da-da-da. Do you want to place the order? Yes. I don't have to touch anything. I just say it. Can you imagine the day, and it will come when you say, um, you know, hey, Amazon, order my ride passes for the State Fair of Texas. Okay, it's right. done. Right. Well, yeah. uh, that needs to be the prime. That needs to be the prime directive uh, of everyone in our in our business it is find ways that make it easier, find ways to reduce uh, the friction for the fairgoers, um, for the people that you're working with, uh, those would be the entertainers, uh, those folks that are running, uh, uh, running the rides, you know, find those ways to reduce the friction. Because uh, frankly, if, if, you, if you circle back to what I was saying is, I am better when I'm not stressed out, right? I'm, I'm better at my job. Um, I do this, the children's television show that I do on PBS. Some people really like a set. Uh, meaning the groups of people that are gathered in the studio to be kind of on edge. Not me, man. I want everybody comfortable. I want everybody joking. I mean, I know how to work my butt, right? I, I am a very, very seriously hardworking guy, but my set needs to be fun, right? I mean, yep. everyone needs to be able to make a joke and be totally cool with that, right? Because I like it. And to be honest, I don't trust people that are not funny. <laughs> I, don't, I don't trust people. You know, the world is nuts. And if you don't understand the world is nuts and you don't have a sense of humor, this is going to be a very sad life for you, right? And so uh, even in my studio, when I'm working with these people, I want it to be as friction-free as possible. You know, be, be proactive to go out and look for those opportunities to cut down on the friction. And I think if you're a, if you're a person that puts on a fair one of the ways that, you know, in the two months of downtime you have, because it takes, <laughs> it takes literally the day they finish, they do, a, you know, they, they spend a week, um, you know, relaxing and then they start all over again, you know? Right. And so goal could be for them, try to find ways 
well, first of all, I'd say the goal needs to be uh, develop institutional memory. You know, write down the stuff that worked and write down the stuff that didn't work because you don't need to be relearning the same dadgum thing over and over and over and over and over and over again. You get a new administration, you get new people there. Don't, Jiminy Crickets, share, share what you learned last time. You know, it's not rocket science. We learned something about parking last time. Share it with the next year's people. You know, we learned yeah. something about like, look at it, make that easier and share it with the next folks, you know, just have some institutional memory and, and make it a, in digital form. So it doesn't have to be, you know, a lady telling the next lady, uh, you know, here's what we did last time. And you can do that, but keep it in a place where it could be easily accessed. So the not, it's, you know, they call them books for a reason, right? <laughs> so you can pass them up. But, but what's you know, the old, them. what's the old quote? If you want to hide something um, in plain sight, put it in a book. <laughs> yeah, yeah, except for us smart people. I'm dyslexic, and, and I learned a long time ago that ideas are hidden in books, and no matter how difficult it is for me to read those ideas, somebody worked hard to put that really good idea in a, in a book, so I needed to find a way uh, to access that. And in my case, uh, and like in your case, we both drive a lot. I drive a lot, so I subscribe to Audible. Man, I've listened to... I listened to lectures on the Civil War, like 28 hours worth, yeah. right? But I like those are ideas. I'm going to listen to the Civil War about, you know, American presidents, leadership and presidents. I listen to that. I love um, being a magician. I'm really into psychology and social psychology. So I listen to all of the books about, about uh, psychology, uh, social psychology, uh, the uh, think again is a real a current favorite right now i'm reading this book and it's simply about most of the time our perception is incorrect and you need to think yep. a little deep more deeply yeah and uh, adam I, Grant, I, I did i remember back in college um i was taken because i was a communication major one of the classes i took was communication theory and we had our final assignment was to go take one of the theories we'd looked at over the course of the year and apply it somehow to our lives. Well, being a magician, I did interpersonal deception theory, which is that, you know, that kind of theory where you, how we deceive ourselves with what we, what we, what we see, what we what we perceive that we saw. Um, and I took it and I applied it as a magician that, you know, in certain environments, it absolutely doesn't apply. Like when an audience comes to see a, see David Copperfield or see you do magic or me do magic, whoever, there is the willing suspension of disbelief. So they know David Copperfield didn't just make a car vanish, but they're for that hour, they're willing to believe that he has the ability to do that. It was a really fascinating, um, it, still to this day, I'm so friends with the professor and she still says no one has ever uh, attacked that that final the way you did, you know, and that was back in, God, 1999 or 2000 when I did that. Well, I think I think uh, people would be shocked at how entertainers many times are much more than they play on the stage or out, you know, on the streets. Uh, many of us think much more deeply about our art than we're ever going to let on. I mean, it's the, the social psychology part of magic is interesting to me because uh, one of the premises of magic tricks, which obviously you would know this, is that if you, if you, you start with the uh, false assumption, you're going to end with uh, your reasoning is going to be faulty. You know, false assumptions lead to false conclusions. Well, that's every magic trick ever. 
since the beginning right. of time. That's it. Give you a false uh, assumption. So you will end up at the end with a false. No, the lady did not float in the air. No, the pieces of paper did not transform into dollars. And that is really, really, really intriguing to me why the human mind is so filled uh, with holes of perception. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, we're filled with holes of perception because it would be too taxing for our minds to think of everything. We have to make assumptions, you know? We have to assume that the floor be solid when we wake up in the morning. We have to assume that we're still married to the same woman. You know, we have to make all of these assumptions um, to get through the day. But the truth is, there's no valid reason for that. All of that could have changed. But we make these assumptions, and that's the zone that really great illusions and magical entertainment exist in. You know, my audience is never going to know that I think about this stuff, but it doesn't right. really matter to me. A little, a little <laughs> bit better. It's like the psychology of the human mind to me is pretty fascinating. And it's it's fascinating to me where it manifests itself. For example, there's a there's videos that go across like Instagram and TikTok of um, I forget what it says, like, but it, the thing is the, the caption on the screen says, You'll hear what you read. And they put up two words on the screen, and one one is like um, green needle and the other's like daydream or something like that. And uh, an audio of like a computer digital audio voice plays the sound. And if you look at one word, you will hear that word. And and I always thought, no, it switches them back and forth. And so I was flip, literally last night, I'm flipping through Instagram stories as I'm falling asleep and it pops up and I knew what the words were. And so I closed my eyes without looking at the screen and I thought green needle and sure as hell, that's what I heard. And then I was like, no, 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 I'm going to do it as daydream. And then I played, it did it again. And I heard daydream every time because that's what I was focusing on. And there's actually, I forget the name of it, but there is a, there is an actual study. It's not a theory. It is a studied psychological principle of how the brain perceives and fills in information. It fl- fills in blanks for you. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. All of that, all of that is really good for us entertainers but it's 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 not it's also valuable to just regular humans to know that sometimes we know things but we don't really we don't really uh know them you know the the human mind is a fascinating fascinating uh thing and it's it's worth uh study and you know for for just regular people not just illusionists oh for sure well and it's one of the reasons that they say the eyewitness testimony in court cases is so questionable because your brain fills things in or your brain takes very at high, especially in high stress situations, your brain takes complex information, which is everything from, oh my gosh, I just saw a, a car accident or I just saw a, a shooting or a mugging or whatever. And your brain takes the person that was wearing the red jacket walking down the street. And now the, the assailant was wearing the red jacket. It mushes all these things together in high stress situations and you don't always get the most accurate. That's that's exactly why they say eyewitness testimony is not is typically unreliable. That's why this is why I have yep. a, this is why I have a dash cam in my vehicle, so I don't have to remember anything. <laughs> yeah, officer rolls well, up we, to we, me. You know, we, tell me what tell me what happened. How did this car accident happen? You know, I'm not really sure. Um, here's my dash cam. Let that answer for me. Let's go to the video tape. <laughs> <laughs> 
Let's go to the videotape. Oh, it looks like he ran the red light, Marv. Okay. So you're reading a lot of books. You do a lot of Audible. I, I haven't done Audible, I think, but once um, because I mostly listen to podcasts. But I do like listening um, to things like that. And I got to tell you what, when it comes to reading, Sarah would tell you, my wife would say that I've probably read three books in 10 years. I'm not a reader. That's not my, like, I'll read news articles or, you know, things like that, but I don't read, I don't sit down and read books. And then as we got going um, last fall through the pandemic, and I was like, it was wearing, man, it was wearing on me. This pandemic was, I decided, you know what, I've got a couple of books here on the shelf that I've had for about four years that I have never opened. I'm going to read. And I'm, I'm now, let me see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I'm on my ninth, nope, 10th book. I'm on my 10th book since Thanksgiving. And I haven't read but three in 10 oh. years. So I all of a sudden just decided I'm, I'm reading and I read all the time now. Well, I flipped, I flipped that. Uh, um, I'm dyslexic, so I reverse letters and numbers. I read shockingly slowly. I mean, really slowly. And so my respect and love, and again, my mom was a teacher, um, my respect and love for authors and for the ideas that are hidden in books was so strong early on that when the magic of an actual written book Rather than say a podcast, when you know I could actually instead of instead of having to weed through um, uh, a team of rivals, right, which is about Abraham Lincoln's uh, cabinet, right, instead of having to read this by Doris Kearns Goodwin, which by the way is a fantastic book, I could listen. It, it just made I got all of the ideas, I got the entire experience of the book. But I could listen to it instead, and I'm more of an auditory learner. And for me, I would rather read or listen to a book because I know I've written multiple books. I know how hard it is to write the book. I know how mm -hmm. hard it is to get the book published. I know how hard it is to get the book out there to the public. And the fact that this book has made it out there, um, in my mind, gives it a higher status than just, even if I admire these people, just people talking on a podcast, just in my yeah. mind, you know, and I have no, I have a problem with people listening to podcasts. My daughter, Emily loves podcasts, right? And she listens to them all the time. I'm like, well, I'd rather read, I'd rather like, I love the uh, author, Michael Lewis, you know, Michael Lewis um, has done multiple uh, uh, books and I love reading his stuff because it's usually like he did uh, Moneyball. That's Michael Lewis. Um, uh, he sort of crosses modern culture with um, psychology, really. Uh, so I'm, I, I, I love the ideas that I can glean. And I'm lucky, you know, I'll have an eight or 10 hour jump I got to make. So I'll, I'll plug in one of these audible books that I want to read. And, you know, I get there and it makes the time go quickly uh, for me. And I feel like I've engaged with ideas because if you're stuck in a tin can, all day long. Some days, some days, the only lady I talk to is the McDonald's lady, right? I'm like, right. yes, yes, I, I would like that. Thanks very much, you know. And so, listening to an intelligent voice um, to me uh, is is extremely worthwhile. 
Well, I'm with you on that, especially with the number of hours when you consider that we're out in, the, in driving. You know, sometimes you get lucky and you've only got a two hour jump. But I think for the most of us, we're looking at, you know, eight to 10 hour jumps at minimum. And I like listening to music, especially like when I first get on the road in the morning, I get the tunes going. But I can only take, you know, the of music for so long before I'm like, I'm it's starting to wear me out. And so anything that's conversational or is a, a spoken word as a voice. So, you know, even whether it's an audio book or a podcast, I, I tend to do better with those over those long hauls than listening to music. Cause after about three hours of music, I just feel like I'm getting beaten up. Well, you know, my dad was one of those, um, did you learn something today? Kind of dads, you know, mm. he, we wanted to know, what did you learn? Did you learn one? So he instilled in me that every day I should be learning. Now I've been in this business. I've been in show business almost 40 years. Um, and I'm thrilled every day that I get to learn something new about our business, something, some way I can put a little top spin on something. It may be promotion or it may be my ability to match what a fair needs. You know, in the past couple of years, I've done more stage shows for fairs um, than I used to do. Uh, and that's only because I just continued to work and grow and think about ideas and, uh, you know, just continually try to improve. And one of the ways I can do that is by reading books or, or listening, you know, to books. Um, and, you know, uh, frankly, listening to the people we work for. And sometimes, sometimes they'll tell you things they didn't mean to tell you in terms of they're giving you insider information, you know, insights into what they really need. Uh, and it's valuable to listen to that because next year you can come back and say, oh, by the way, I have this. And they're like, hey, I was thinking about that. And you're like, yeah, I got mm -hmm. you. Oh, yeah, that's actually that's been a valuable insight for me just building out this podcast. The number of folks that I've gotten to speak to that in, you know, normal day to day operations in my business or doing IFE or whatnot, I I'm probably wouldn't or I would only get two minutes at the trade show to visit with them. And I'm getting an hour to chat with some of these folks. Um, it's I have a whole a whole thing of notes from each episode, especially with fair managers or entertainment people that I'm like. This could be valuable come IFE when I mention something like that, or, you know, I produce the product they need, you know what I mean? And it was because we took, I took the time, put the effort in and put the podcast together. I, I'm really hopeful with the show that it's bringing value to people. I, I know looking at analytics right now, basically where we're at is entertainers are listening to entertainers. Fair people are listening to fair people and very rarely the two will cross. Perfectly fine. I want people to listen to the content that they're good with, just like you want to listen to the audiobooks that you like. I want people to listen where they're comfortable. But it has been a very valuable tool on, on the side for me to be like, oh, well, this is sort of a, um, you know, a, a perk of this. I, it, I didn't set out for it to be the case. It just sort of developed. And after a really rough 2020, I think it was, you know, I, I think it's a good thing to be able to put these stories out for people to listen to. I am curious, though, we haven't chatted much about 2020, and I, I don't want to harp too much on it. Um, what what were you going through your head last year this time when the pandemic's like things are canceling, the wheels come off the bus and everybody's going, crap, this is going to be a problem. What are you thinking at that point? Um, I think I knew almost instantly that 
uh, one of my greatest loves, which is the fair market, was about to vanish because um, what we do involves everything that a pandemic doesn't need. Lots of people, lots of people interacting and lots of people interacting closely. So I, I don't claim to be very prescient, but the moment this began happening, I went, oh no, oh no, uh, oh no. The, oh, the fairs, oh no, this is not uh, gonna be uh, good. And it's not gonna be good either for our entertainer friends that do fairs, uh, and it's not gonna be good for the fairs themselves, you know, financially or emotionally, uh, frankly. Uh, the best I can say is we look back to the 1918 um, influenza and that we know historically that Americans, when they came out of the 1918 flu, holy smokes, did they want to be together. They yep. wanted to be together. They wanted to party and they wanted to have fun and they wanted to. And that, that's the beautiful thing about fairs is it's such a shockingly good cross cut of who America is. I mean, you can be liberal, you can be conservative, and I guarantee you both of those groups are represented on a fairground. And yep. if you want to have, want to take the temperature of the United States of America, you should take that temperature at a fairground because you are seeing it right there right then it's not um it's not being manipulated by media that wants to make money on either end of this weird spectrum it's just people it's just americans coming with their families to have a good evening and yep. so i my, my prediction is if history can be any judge i don't know when we're coming out but when we come out i think we're going to come roaring out. I think people are going to be so excited to get a corny dog and to get some cotton candy and to go on a ride and laugh their heads off uh, at a show um, and experience togetherness again. My prediction is I don't know when it will happen, but I think it will be amazing when it finally uh, happens. Yep, I th my gut feeling is before this, or at least for our industry for recovery, it could be it's going to be twenty three if uh, for the small to medium fares, and I think the biggest ones it's going to be twenty four because they're going to need a little bit more data on it on how to uh, how to really get their get the show open for everybody in their communities. But I'm one hundred percent with you. I I hope the fairs are thinking. I I know right now it's hard to think that far ahead, but they're going to need to be throwing the biggest parties ever because people are desperate for it. And I'm glad you made that comment that, you know, we've got conservatives and in Democrats and Republicans and socialists and all everything in between and on all sides that show up at our fairs. And I can, I can promise you when someone comes up to conjure a fortune machine to press the button, there's not a moment where I go, wait, 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 which side of the aisle are you on? I don't care. I want them to press that button. I want them to get a laugh. I want them to have get a fortune card that means something to them. And in that 47 seconds or, or, or six minutes or however long they're with me, I gave them a moment. If I can do that, yeah. then I'm good. And then it's if they leave and they go to your show next, now it's up to you to give them another moment. And then if they're going to go down to the midway and get on the Ferris, Ferris wheel, it's up to that carnival operator to give them another moment. And that's what we do. 
is we give them as many moments during the day as possible that moments become memories and memories are what bring them back. And they come back year after year after year. I mean, the funny thing, I call them repeat offenders, right? Like uh, I would work in Wisconsin, so many row. I literally have fans that come back year after year after, and I'm a street act, right? I'm not, I'm not even on a stage, but I certainly have folks that come back year after year, and they, I've seen their children grow up. I, I've, I, they, their children, children coming to see me and uh, you're right demographically it, it, it is completely irrelevant we're simply americans showing up to have a good time together and i would love to look at the cross cut if you could just sort of slice the audience and go wonder demographically who you are if you were to cut i guarantee it's a perfect mix of who america really is yep. out there and they're yeah, I love to use hashtag Team America because we oftentimes forget that we're actually all on the same team. We are, and you don't want offense playing against the defense. What no, you, we've, what you we've definitely got offense playing against the defense in this country right now. This is this is not a good situation we're in. Well, and that's the beauty of the, the fair situation is the more often you can get together and just have a good time with each other and you just set this other you are the enemy i think it's i think it's pete carroll the uh nfl coach said my opponent is not my enemy and the fair gives you the opportunity to come out and forget that you think that your opponent is your enemy and just have a, a good time you know just have right. a good time yep yeah i love what i do you know you mentioned wisconsin several times we just recently, the episode hasn't come out yet. By the time yours does, um, it'll have come out. But we had Kathleen O'Leary on from Wisconsin. Um, she's fantastic. I, I think that that Wisconsin State Fair Park is in is in really good hands. Um, she's definitely got a great crew around her. I, that's one of those fairs that I have not been to yet. Haven't worked it. Um, I haven't even been as a guest. But if I had an opportunity either way to either go and, and work the fair or go as a guest, that is that is one fair that's on my fair wish list. Do you have a fair that's on your fair wish list to go attend? Um, yeah, to go back to Wisconsin. I'd be thrilled for Wisconsin to open open back up. But but while we're here, can I tell you a really funny insider story on Wisconsin State Fair? It, just remember, this is going to be released to everybody. I'm not editing this out, so go for it. <laughs> no, no, no. They, they will know this. Kathleen will know this very well. Kathleen's, uh, I've been through many, many directors there. No, Kathleen will know this story extremely well. Okay, so Wisconsin State Fair. Uh, Wisconsin State Fair has uh, uh, what they call Central Park, right? Now, Central Park, there's a lot of events that happen in Central Park. And is in essence, it's really a park. It's got trees. It's got a fountain in the middle. Well, one year, one of the folks decided that they should they should um, uh, dig all of the uh, the garden because this fountain had been filled in with plants and bushes and stuff like that. It's right there at the center of the park. And um, they said, you know, th th this is a fully functioning working fountain. Why in the world do we not let it do? It's fountain thing. And so they dig it up, they dig it up, dig it up, and they, 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 they put the fountain. Oh, my goodness gracious. It's absolutely beautiful. Look, I, I, why in the world did we ever not do this? 
fountain, 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 fountain. Whisk. <laughs> State Fair opens. The first day is beautiful. Everybody loves the fair. Day two, <laughs> they come in and it's covered, covered with soap suds. And over the night, people had come in and they'd been bathing in the fountain. <laughs> and they realized why they had filled it in is because the folks from the carnival had come over and they're like, hey, I can take a bath here. So they oh, did. <laughs> so now yeah, they filled it. They filled it back in again the next year. <laughs> oh, my God. oh, I wish I'd interviewed you first. I would have loved to ask Kathleen about that. That would, I would, that would have been amazing. And it's that's totally true, totally true story. Also, uh, the uh, also for my fair uh, entertainer friends, remember to always keep your wits about you. I remember arriving at the Wyandotte County Fair years ago. Wyandotte's kind of in Kansas because I play both state fairs and county fairs and I, and I walk in and this reporter runs up to me with a camera and she's got a microphone and the camera's got these the guys pointing the camera in my face and she puts the microphone in, in my face and she says what do you think about the dead body in the parking lot <laughs> and I'm thinking uh I didn't do it you know <laughs> but of course that's not what I said what I said was and this was totally true I said well honestly I don't know anything about that but I can tell you one thing Fairgrounds are some of the safest places that you can ever bring your family, which is true. That's not a lie. And I'm sure in the end, when they find out what happened, it will be something that's not really related to the fair. And so that's what goes out on the newswaves that day. And the fair was extremely grateful that I hadn't blown the whole thing up. And sure enough, it turns out that it's lovers spat between uh, some folks and, you know, that turned into a, a thing. Right. So yeah. just keep your wits about it. don't ever don't ever say the first thing that comes into your head, which is what about the dead body? Don't say I didn't do it, because that's probably not the best. It was alive when I left it. <laughs> right. The best part, the best part of that story is that this is the honest to goodness truth. It, the, it was the fortune teller. She had caught her boyfriend messing around with somebody. She killed him. I'm like, you're a fortune teller. Didn't don't you think you could have seen it? That's that's been the joke the whole time on the podcast with uh, with the pandemic is I've had people like Robert, you're a fortune machine. Why didn't you warn us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I didn't. Yeah, yeah that's true. That's true. Yeah, we had there was a situation I don't know probably four years ago where and you do you do the Florida convention? I can't remember if you were there. Um, where we had the fire at the trade show. Do you remember that? Mark's told me about that, though, yeah. Yeah, there was, I guess, a laptop. Had, somebody had a laptop that overheated, um, and the battery started a fire, which, like, freak accident, right? Nobody would reasonably see a laptop battery just all of a sudden being like, boom, and up it goes. Um, but I remember the media showed up and they shoved, they shoved a mic and a camera in my face and they said, so are you part of the convention here? What can you tell us about this fire? And I looked at them and I said, I would just refer you to Lisa Hinton. She's the executive director of the Florida Federation. <laughs> and I walked away. And Lisa, they, came up, they, they saw me on yeah. like Lisa and a couple of the other people on the board saw me in front of the camera and they came up to me when the camera was gone and they said, we just need to know if you said anything to them. I said, I referred them to you. This is not my convention to talk about. 
And they said, thank you, because then we can control the messaging. Yeah, 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 that's, that's right. Yeah, and that's probably even a smarter move uh, than mine. Um, that, but always, always answer in the most politic way, because in the, in the final analysis, it's like you said, it's not really your place to answer. You know, or in my place, I wasn't not telling the truth. Fairgrounds are really, really safe places to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, fairs are. They they really are. But we've talked about before that, you know, the number of times that, you know, fairs get a bad rap because maybe there's an incident. You know, maybe the SWAT team moved in on a drug house three blocks away from the fair. Completely unrelated. Has nothing one has nothing to do with the other. But what is that? What's the TV report? Uh, SWAT team moved in uh, and made a drug bust near the New Mexico State Fair, near the OC Fair, near the State Fair of Texas. And it's like all people here is drugs and fair. You know what I mean? Like they don't this, they don't make the distinction. And then the fair's got to sit there going, oh, God, how do we handle this? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, you know, uh, Anthony Robbins, the inspirational speaker, said something years ago I thought was pretty cogent. I mean, we like to pick on the media, but the truth is the media delivers a message that's uh, sensational because that's what we will pay attention to. You know, if, right. you, if you walk past the paper and it says terrible, horrible storm coming, you're going to buy that paper. If it says beautiful, you know, uh, 87 degree weather, you're not going to buy that paper. Well, right. they're in the business. So, you know, we can pick on the media all we want, but the truth is, the more salacious and sensationalized it is, the more we people will pay attention to it. So I, I get why they say, oh, totally. Trauma cells, you know, trauma cells, unfortunately, and that's just human nature. I got to the point actually two days ago, I deleted my Twitter account finally because I, you cannot get on Twitter without a level of vitriolic hatred it's just like i get that right now dr seuss for some reason isn't popular and and i get that there's some people that are pro-trump and some people that are pro-biden and some everybody's got their thing but nobody talks they it's just spewing vitriolic venom and i'm like i can't even take this anymore me the social media guy can't even handle Twitter anymore because it's just so I just said I'm I'm done I can't I 86 Twitter and I don't want I don't want the negativity you know it's too much poison for me well it's even it's even worse than than that it's worse because we're setting up an environment um, where we don't take responsibility for the things that we say um, with our children in mind um, if you say something in public or in private, in my opinion, you should stick to those things that you would be okay with your child to hear. Because um, our children don't really pay a lot of attention to what we say, but they pay a lot of attention to what we do. And if you are saying and doing things that they can mimic, uh, you are doing them a disservice. If you are holding your tongue, and once again, hashtag Team America, if you're holding your tongue, I mean, there are certain things that you just shouldn't be saying out in public. And yep. I think we're growing pains uh, because social media is a thing that we haven't come to this understanding that it's not you and a couple of buddies sitting around your living room, um, you know, just talking. It's, it's not. You're really 
you have a megaphone that's reaching folks that uh, agree with you and disagree. I heard somebody say the other day that we should always consider the things we say in public uh, as if we were saying them to uh, a brother or a sister or, or a cousin. And think of those things as if, okay, I don't think that term is offensive, but if it if you were my brother and it offended you, even if I didn't think it was offensive, I'd probably just stop saying it because I love you. You're my brother. And sure. so we need to adopt an attitude of uh, public and private, you know, just saying those things in public um, that matter, that need to be said. Uh, we're, we're, I agree with you. We too often reward um um, score some points type of um, discussions. And, you know, what's happening on, actually, I don't see very many real discussions happening on any social media, uh, Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. I participate in, in them because I'm an entertainer. I have to participate in them. I need right. to be out there. Uh, I do think that we should uh, learn to, like your grandmother told you, to hold your tongue. Just hold your tongue, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, we all, we all know that advice. It's good advice. <laughs> yeah, it really is. And let's just, let's uh, shift up here real quick because we're just about out of time. But I wanted to chat with you about something. I'm not sure if you heard the announcement, if you saw the email from Steve Seaver come out yesterday. Um, for context, we're recording this on Tuesday, March 2nd. And yesterday, March 1st, IFE has made its announcement. 2022 host city, Indianapolis, Indiana. What you think of that? I love India. I've been there many, many, many times. So, uh, so, so seriously, it's official. We're going to Indianapolis in 22, huh? Correct. It is, it is official and they're actually jumping cities, um, every year from 22 until 25, they're, they're apparently jumping a new city. So it'll be interesting to see some variety. Yeah. IAFE, they work so hard to connect the people that make fairs happen that I'm sure, uh, again, this ties into the coming out of a pandemic, 22 will probably be off the rails. Steve and all of his team, uh, um, um, the whole team, they will be working hard to uh, give the resources to fair uh, presenters that they need uh, to really come uh, Zooming back. So yeah, I'll be there in Indy. I'll be my only my only reservation in all of this, and I'm sure they looked at it. If they, they looked at weather patterns and uh, historically, because you do get that far north, and you are talking about Thanksgiving weekend, and I'm like, is there going to be? Is this going to be the convention where we have snow? <laughs> Finally, <laughs> so we'll see. But I did. I was yeah. in Indianapolis when I was younger. I went out there for an event, and uh, fantastic city, really is great people. I think we'll have a good time there, and I really like being able to the concept of the trade show changing potentially every year with a new floor plan. Because one of the things that happened is when we first went to San Antonio and I told Sarah that this would happen and sure enough, it it was the case. I said, you watch, we're going to go to San Antonio and because you're dealing with the, you, you have the basic gray convention carpet instead of the very busy and colorful Las Vegas carpet. And the fact that the show is everybody in the show, the trade show is getting moved, right? Different floor plan. People are in different booths. You're going to have more 
fair people that kind of got the blinders on in Vegas that are going to open their eyes and be like, oh, this is cool. And sure, sure enough, first day of the trade show, Linnell Smith from Sydney Royal Easter Show walks up to me and looks at Conjure and goes, this is really neat. When did you bring this into the fair market? And I was like, 2011. And at IFE every year since. She's like, I've never seen it. And uh, but I, I believe she saw it because the floor plan was new. So every they're looking at things differently. They're taking in that 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 information differently. And so now we're looking at the next several years of, you know, things are going to look are going to look different. So I'm all about that. I think it'll be really cool. Right. Well, uh, people did just their cognitive, their cognitive, um, uh, uh, their openness is it's just exactly what you said they'll simply be open because it will all be uh, new i mean i adored las vegas i loved going to iafe um, but we did all get into kind of a groove we did yep. the same thing every time our presenters and uh, the entertainers and the agencies yep yep we did and and one of the things that was a little challenging about san antonio was and and we were never able to find it we we never had that meeting place like we had at the bar downstairs at Paris. There was never that spot where you knew that people just congregated. They were in several different hotels is how that rolled out. And we didn't see each other as much. So that does present a challenge. But for me, I think there's two real benefits, at least from our trade show side. And that is if you, if you basically toss the floor every year where things are, or laid out a little bit differently where the entrance to the room is, is a little different where the lounges is a little different and where the booths are that keeps every, all the buyers fresh. And they're going to give they're going to have a better look at you when they walk by than if you're in the same place year after year after year. So that's one. I think the other real cool. benefit is by moving to someplace like Indiana is you might just get, um, you might get fares that could not afford to go to San Antonio or could not afford to go to Las Vegas that, are now willing to participate. And so as we move around the country, you may end up landing new clients or filling in, you know, you might've always had that one weekend in August where you're like, I can't get that filled. And then you find out, wow, there's a five day fair. That's a six hour jump that I can make it to. I just think there's some good positives that can come out of it. Great. I do. I do hate that you never found uh, the entertainer hangout uh, in San Antonio, because of course it was the basement at the Alamo. Was it really? There's no basement at the Alamo. Is there not? I don't know. Like you, here you're making fun of me on my own show. I don't. I don't know. I never got out. Like I was. I went across the street to the. I don't know the the Hilton or whatever was across the street from the La Quinta, and that was about it. And then we'd see people on the Riverwalk, but but it did. I think when it, the point's been made by others that there was some central congregating points in Las Vegas that you really didn't necessarily have in San Antonio. But my, my other beef with, with Las Vegas is that there is so much to do um, that you had people that, and I totally understand why, but they made it a vacation. And so, you know, they come in and they go to, they'd be, they wouldn't be at the convention because they'd go to Cirque du Soleil instead. That is true. That is true that there would be um, a, a lot of business was lost because it was really, it is a destination. You know, you want to go there for all of the cool stuff. I mean, I can't even tell you the shows that I saw because I, I would jam in three high quality shows after we would finish on the trade show floor. Um, because my attitude has always been about great shows 
Uh, you know, I never come away from a great show thinking, oh man, I could never do that. I come away from a great show going, that was amazing. Did you just see what they just did? And yeah. Vegas offered that to me. Yeah. So we would close it or something. Man, I would race like, like a bat out of hell to get to the first show. And I would usually see three shows a night. And for me, that was a huge thing. I loved being in Vegas and simply seeing those shows and meeting all of the clients that we had met. Uh, before during the daytime but yeah. you know I'm, I'm almost always well I hope steve siever and his team of folks um uh, pull something really great off uh for 2022 no i think they will i'm i'm excited to see some change and some movement and uh, i know steve does just incredible work and yeah i'm looking for, and frankly i really at this point i don't care where it is i just want to get back together with everybody and, and be in the same space again yeah, well, it's, you know, I think that the fairs are going to uh, be hurting. And so we're going to look, we're going to need to look for ways to help. Uh, and I don't really know what those ways uh, will look like. But but again, I think that when we come back, we're going to come zooming back because human beings, um, we are cooperative by nature. We are social creatures by e even the most private, even the shyest among us, the thing that we do is we do together really, really well. And that's one thing that fairs are really good at is doing together really, really well. I agree. And let's, we'll leave it at that. Steve, it's been great to have you on the show. Before we go, everyone who comes on my show goes through a little series of speed round questions. So I'm going to ask you six quick questions. You give me your best answer for each. Are you ready? Uh, yeah. Okay. Hit me. Question one. If a movie was made about your life, who would portray you? Uh, Tom Hanks. What fair food is a must have when you're at the fair? Oh no. Um, Oh, uh, fair food is a must-have. I'm gonna say something with that. Whatever they're putting chocolate on that year, <laughs> whether whether it's chocolate on uh, fried chocolate or chocolate on a cricket or chocolate on a whatever, you're going for it, huh? Chocolate on bacon one year. It'll be chocolate on a Twinkie one year. So yeah, whatever they're putting chocolate on. If I open your music app right now, which artist would be playing? Oh, uh, this morning would be uh, this morning would be Bruce Springsteen. Who was your first celebrity crush? Ooh, good question. Um, okay, like like hero crush, like like kind of a uh, 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 Hank Aaron is the first celebrity I can really remember admiring. Okay, cool. Uh, when you travel, name one item you absolutely must have with you. Toothbrush. And you can have a conversation with any historical figure. Who is it? John Lennon. And what do you talk about? How much he loved his family. And with that, Steve Trash, if folks want to keep up with all things happening with you, where can they connect with you? 
Oh, I'm at stevetrash.com. Fantastic. Steve Trash, eco-entertainer. He goes as a rockin' eco-hero. That's what he's billed as. All around hell of a great human being. Really great visiting with you today, buddy. I hope you have a safe 2021 that you get to go do all your fairs. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on the show. Right back at you, Robert. You uh, keep it between the lines. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.